Lake Effect continues now on Milwaukee Public Radio. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Mitch Tyke. Jesus Salas has been involved in nearly every aspect of agriculture and the migrant worker movement in Wisconsin. As a third-generation migrant worker of Mexican descent, Salas and his family traveled from Texas to the Great Lakes region for 10 years, more than a half century ago, to cultivate and harvest crops. In 1959, the family settled in Waltoma, where the young Salas became actively involved in fighting for the rights of migrant workers. Salas was a founder of Obreros Unidos, the United Workers Union. The group organized a march from Watoma to Madison in 1966 to protest migrant worker conditions and walkouts against the produce company Libby's. They also joined forces with Cesar Chavez's national boycott of grapes to expand its impact in Wisconsin. Salas went on to become the first Latino CEO of United Migrant Opportunity Services in 1969 and fought for equal opportunity for Latino students at UW. Still later, he taught bilingual skills for 20 years at Milwaukee Area Technical College. Today, he speaks about his work advocating for the rights of migrant workers. And as part of our Full Plate series on agriculture in Wisconsin, Salas joined Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski in the studio to share his unique perspective and direct impact on its history. Salas starts by explaining when he first realized that his mission was to help his fellow migrant workers while his family was living in Watoma. So it was when I go back uh, at 18 years old uh, after I graduated from high school to recruit migrant children that I get a completely different vision of what is going on there. I actually had lived and knew about the working conditions, the uh, the housing and that, but I get the complaints from uh, the pay. In other words, violations of minimum wage, uh, people getting injured in the, uh, in the fields. And these complaints then uh, uh, I have through... Uh, these individuals that are coming in from Madison, uh, the Dane County Human Rights Committee, this wonderful woman by the name of Elizabeth Brandeis Rauschenbusch, who was the daughter of the first uh, Jew uh, who was in, uh, in the Supreme Court, was a professor of recon at Madison. Uh, she became my mentor. She would uh, take me and we would go and, and uh, complain about the migrant housing before the Industrial Commission. She would get me to testify about the wages and uh, complain about the uh, violation of the uh, peace rate system at the time. So all of this, uh, five years between 61 and 65 until I met Caesar that I found that the vehicle for our complaints were really to organize, or that is to come together as a union. And that's when we founded Obreros Unidos, United Workers. Uh, yeah, and the Caesar you refer to is Caesar Chavez, which many Milwaukeeans will, of course, know and recognize. And as you said, that was really the pinnacle for a large organization throughout Wisconsin, and also Caesar was working out of California. But in 1966, there's a pinnacle march to Madison. Can you explain what prompted that? Yes, well, I'm in, I'm in Madison at that time. I told you I had been working with, uh, with Ms. Brandeis, uh, the econ professor, and I, we just finished working. So I stay in Madison that particular year. And because I was not in school, I, uh, I was subject to the draft, and I joined the anti-war movement. And Madison is a hub of a lot of activity. There's uh, individuals that are going down to the Deep South, participating in the voter education drives down there in the sit-ins at the, at the segregated lunch counters, et cetera. And, and they come back and, and, uh, and they report what is going on. Somebody brings a, a clip 
from a Los Angeles uh, newspaper showing that the migrants are marching in California uh, as they're organizing the grape uh, industry. Caesar had joined the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee, a Filipino-based uh, union, and they had struck the grape growers and, and, they, and they had initiated a grape boycott. So what do I do? Uh, I get on the phone. And I, uh, at that time, there were operators, so call person-to-person call Cesar Chavez, Delano, California. That's what the newspapers say, where the story had started. And I introduced myself over the phone, and I told him what I wanted to do, that I thought that that's what we should do. And he said, well, I got this person in Chicago who was helping us with the boycott there. I'll send them over. I'll send this woman over to help you out. So... We organized the, uh, the, uh, the march protesting our work in the living conditions. That fall, we went on strike in the potato industry. The following year, we struck Libby's in the uh, 700 worker uh, uh, cucumber industry. And that's how I got involved with, uh, with the farm workers and with Caesar. And uh, we invited Caesar to come to, uh, to Wisconsin, first to Madison, and then to uh, Milwaukee. And uh, we developed very close ties with him and with his staff. And the march, you walked from Watoma to Madison along Highway 21, as you said, to petition lawmakers to hold the farms and food and industry corporations accountable. And this did lead to some change statewide. But with the start off of that march, was there a good momentum that you saw changing with workers really organizing throughout the state to demand these changes from state legislators, what were the results of that? Well, there, there are twofold. The, the we were Wisconsin uniquely had a migrant housing code, for instance, but it wasn't enforced. It had a minimum wage, but it was a based on the peace rate system. So with Ms. Brandeis, we had gone and attempted to change the peace rate system into an hourly rate, but uh, we eventually had to go to court to demonstrate that, in effect, that the, the, the peace rate system did not equal a, a minimum wage, according to the Wisconsin law, a statute, a living wage. And that took years because we would go to the hearings, they would rule in, in our favor, then that issue would then go to court, and the court would be appealed. So the multinationals, the processors, uh, used every aspect of the law to delay, you know, uh, uh, we getting our rights. The same thing happened when we first went on strike against Libby. Uh, uh, we petitioned for an emergency um, election. The Wisconsin Employment Relations Commission uh, granted us an election. We wanted 405 eight. So there was no question that the workers wanted a union. They wanted a uh, change. But what, what do they do? They move their operations out of state to stifle the union, and they don't, uh, they don't negotiate the impact of that. With the, we're, we're their union. We just won a, 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 an election. We go to the Wisconsin Employment Relations Commission. They issue a ruling. That gets appealed to the circuit court. The circuit courts then go to the Court of Appeals. Then they go to the Supreme Court. So this is going on for years as we're trying to organize. The following year, 68, we, we go to Libby's processing plants and create walkouts to force them back into the negotiating table. And that's when, during the whole, this whole time, Caesar says, look, we're do, the same thing is happening to us in California. We win here, and then they'll sign a sweetheart contract with this other uh, union to avoid, you know, uh, working with us. And so we're involved in the national boycott to try to force them back and into contractual relationships with them. 
Wisconsin was one of two states that had uh, covered their migrant workers, their agricultural workers, under the their mediation board. We were the only ones in the whole nation. Caesar had to go to a great boycott in order to force the growers to a negotiating table. We didn't. We went to the Wisconsin Employment Relations Commission, and we uh, charged them with unfair labor practices. But because they had the power of being able to appeal all these decisions— uh, we couldn't get a decision. Of course, it was a right to appeal those decisions. But meanwhile, we're not recognized. We don't have a contract. And that's when Caesar says, let's win in California first. And once we win in California, we'll, I'll help you organize in Wisconsin. Well, who was to know at that time that the first contract was going to take us five years of picketing for a great boycott? I didn't know it at the time, and he didn't know it at the time. So I come to Milwaukee to organize the great boycott, to win in California so he could help us here in Wisconsin. And what do I run into? Grappi has just finished 200 days of, uh, of marching for open housing. We're out in the picket line, and every time we go out in the picket line, we see Milwaukee's finest in riot uh, police because that's how they handle protest. And, of course, we didn't have anything to do with that, so we joined with the, with the African-American uh, civil rights movement, and it becomes one movement. And we uh, jointly take on issues having to do with uh, employment opportunities, job discrimination, the welfare marches, et cetera. So all of those issues become uh, uh, as part of the, the begin with the farm workers movement, but eventually end up uh, issues having to do with self-determination, with civil rights, uh, et cetera. You mentioned there was five years of picketing and marching, and during that time, not one union was approved. But... Past that point, when you joined forces with Father Grappi and the African-American community to collectively advocate for all of your rights, did you see that as a turning point? Well, one of the things that we learned from, uh, from uh, Grappi uh, was strategies and tactics. The, the great boycott was a consumer boycott. At the time, women primarily did the chopping. So I was going to the grocery stores, to Kroger, to Kohl's, et cetera, and approaching women and asking them not to buy grapes. And then if the, if the grocers would be recalcitrant, we would become more, more, uh, more uh, we, we would have started applying what the, what the youth council and Grappi had undertaken here in Milwaukee, what we now call direct action. In other words, we became more aggressive about we were not just simply informing the, the uh, housewife. We were telling them, don't shop here, you know, or then we would interfere with them coming into the store. And this would lead to arrest situations. I had never been in, uh, arrested during all these years that I had been uh, marching and protesting and striking and, uh, and picketing. But when I got to Milwaukee, I couldn't stay out of jail. <laughs> the 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 uh, we got jailed at Cole's Food Store over on Capitol Drive and and uh, uh, the other thing that was going on, of course, the, the as I told you earlier, during our early days of organizing uh, uh, for childcare and education programs, United Migrant Opportunity Services was was created on the piggyback of our activities uh, for the earlier three or four years. And so we went up to Yuma. This is a, a, a related story. We went up to you, the, the migrant agency that was funded by the Office of Economic Opportunity and said, look, we just lost the strike. There's uh, hundreds of families that are being displaced. We told them not to come up because Libby's wasn't planted 
wasn't planting any uh, cucumbers to go someplace else. But since the migrant stream is a cycle, we would begin with asparagus in, in South Central Illinois, go to the beets field, then the cucumber, and then later uh, tomato, and then later still the cotton harvest. You took away the cucumber for 700 workers. There's that four to six week period of time that there, you know, there's a gap. So I, even though I was in Milwaukee, people would find me and say, this is what are we going to do? You know, we don't have any work. You know, people were displaced. There was no housing, uh, no food. So I went up to Yuma's and I said, look, we got a dire situation. Oh, Jesus, we don't want to get involved with the union between you and the process. If we get involved, we start helping the, your, your, your union members. We're going to lose the grant. And I said, these are migrant workers. <laughs> your job is to help migrant workers. You know, the, the, the union notwithstanding or how they lost their job is not the issue. The issue is that they need your service. So we, to make a long story short, we took over the agency. So there began within the near south side of Milwaukee something unique. In other words, the the archdiocese programs that had been set up called El Centro or the Spanish Center joined forces with us. We took over United Migrant Opportunities and Services. The Social Development Commission was being funded for the so-called poverty programs. We wanted autonomous uh, social service program. So we got this agency together, and they became the Latinization of the social uh, services that we now see. And you can go anywhere in the United States, and you won't see the network of social services that we have here in Milwaukee, migrant assistance, social service, educational services, child care services, clinics, et cetera. And if you look at their websites, they were all created during this period of time. So this is also going on. The participants in the, uh, in the marches that are joining Grappi and, uh, you know, advocating on behalf of welfare mothers are also building the sustainable communities and the service organizations that I just, uh, that I just mentioned. These organizations service migrant workers, as you mentioned, but I am curious from your, with your perspective of having grown up in a migrant worker family, having worked yourself, advocated on behalf of them your whole life, what inherent qualities do these workers have that make them so valuable, you know, not just to people who need labor, but to the wider community, to Wisconsin? I don't think there's enough credit that is given to the generation of migrant workers that enrich Wisconsin's every culture from a household industry to a powerhouse, national powerhouse in agribusiness during this period of time that we were migrant workers. We're the leading producers of corn, of peas, of sauerkraut because of the cabbage that is growing along the uh, southeastern part of, of the state of Wisconsin. The potato industry that now competes with the Idaho that started out bagging potatoes behind uh, uh, tractor pull diggers are now a major central Wisconsin industry. Migrant workers who have stayed here are now part of the Wisconsin's dairy industry. The dairy industry would collapse if migrant workers, and many of them undocumented Mexican workers, uh, would cease to work with them. So we're, we would become an integral part of the economy of, uh, of the state of Wisconsin. And it begins in the 40s. In the 50s, and, you know, from a household industry to this, uh, you know, powerhouses, uh, agribusiness that we see uh, now. What's your opinion on the state of things today? You've remained active in the community, 
but with today's political rhetoric of people still against migrant workers taking jobs, et cetera, the, the current political rhetoric. So what is your response to how things have kind of resurfaced in the same way? Well, the, the, just, just, just a basic lack of understanding in terms of the contribution, as I noted earlier, of the, of the migrant workers. In the 10 years that we worked in the fields here in Wisconsin and in, in the Great Lakes region, I never saw anybody come up and say, you know, hey, you're taking over my job or can, you know, we worked almost exclusively in the fields. There was never any attempt to get workers from any place else. I think we developed some very unique skills when we were down in the what we now call the Winter Garden region of Texas with very few tools. And I think Wisconsin small farmers, when they saw our contribution, they wanted our labor. They, You know, the other thing is that the... Um, type of industry, the type of agricultural industry that, uh, that Wisconsin has uh, uh, and continues to, uh, continues to enjoy values, the, the ethic that, uh, that we contribute, the work ethic, the, the industry, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, how we relate to the, to the land. You can get any unemployed person in, uh, in anywhere. And unless you know the cultivation of agriculture, you know, farmers know that because they're out there every day and they're out there taking care of their plants and they're out there and taking care and nurturing them. And so they understood that we knew that and, you know, and that's why they wanted us. And they continue. They continue to seek that out. Now, you have a couple of things that are going on. You have this anti-immigrant Thing. I think it's a part of an ideology that, that we haven't seen uh, in, uh, in some time coming back into the surface that, you know, uh, uh, just doesn't, doesn't have any basis in terms, certainly not of economics, certainly not of, uh, of the Wisconsin agribusiness. This whole idea of, you know, anti-immigrant, you know, even now the dairy industry standing up uh, here in Wisconsin, standing up with us and saying, no, 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 don't do that. You're going to destroy the, the industry. So you finally are seeing, you know, we're trying to develop some allies. And, there's, you know, uh, this last march that we had when we were the anti-sanctuary uh, 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 marches that we had in the last two years, we actually had representatives from the pre-growth, representatives from the dairy industry, representatives, other representatives stand up and say, no, don't do this. You know, So we're, we're finally seeing some of that. Uh, uh, we're not alone anymore in that, in, that, uh, in that sense. There are some of the, I don't, I don't think that there's enough of that because look at the new proposal for the uh, immigration where we want to go into a skill base. We want to do away with a family-based immigration and do, you know, all high-tech. Uh, uh, and what, you have uh, Senator Graham saying, wait a minute, uh, that's not going to fly in South Carolina. Who's going to be harvesting our uh, crops? The same thing with representatives from California. That that are already because of the uh, 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 enforcement uh, as it should be of the uh, of the immigration uh, codes are already affecting the agricultural industry as we speak now. And if you're further going to change the immigration policies, you're going to impact uh, very negatively the you know the agricultural industry throughout uh, the United States. So today we have the allies that you worked hard to build and recognize the central role of migrant workers. Are there still more things that need to be changed? The the agencies that we set up, two that we've set up back in the uh, in the sixties, are underfunded. There isn't enough uh, effort being made to uh, provide. 
what is happening to all of those Mexican families that are isolated in these uh, dairy farms uh, throughout the state of Wisconsin? How are those communities being receptive to their contribution of labor? We see problems on a daily basis. It's fine as long as they stay in the farm and milk uh, two or three times a day, but they're not welcome. They're not the, the, the small communities where basically most of these farms are located have not extended that welcome to them. We don't see the the school systems actually uh, going out there and making sure that the children go to school. And if once they go to school, uh, not applying for bilingual education. So it's those kinds of issues. The agencies that that we set up here in the city of Milwaukee are all you know uh, working on a very uh, tight budget. We've seen a demand for services, but we haven't seen an increase in uh, those funds to be able to adequately provide for them. I think we have a very industrious community and we have a community that is desirous of loans, of, uh, you know, purchasing. I think there should be an effort for people that are gainfully employed so they can own their own homes and not a, not, not, not have a deterioration of uh, of the neighborhoods that we've seen in other parts of the uh, of the city, the uh, anti-immigrant issues um, we've gone to the uh, county supervisors, and uh, now we're dealing. Uh, there's some new statutes being proposed uh, in the state of Wisconsin that we're going to have to fight against. Uh, uh, just recently, uh, you saw the uh, uh, Fire and Police Commission uh, uh, that we challenged them on some of the changes that we made as to what is the role of the police in terms uh, of, uh, of uh, dealing with the undocumented population. We don't want them to become uh, uh, federal agents of uh, immigration. Uh, we want uh, those communities in the near south side where most of the undocumented live to be able to feel secure, to cooperate with the police. If you have these new policies that are being proposed by the administration, that's only going to create gaps in terms of services. And this is very, very important in terms of having secure, safe neighborhoods. So bottom line, the community needs to come together and realize everyone's value in order well, for all we, these I think, things to improve. Well, we, I think we've come together. I think the rest of the, the city wider. of Milwaukee, the wider community, the city of Milwaukee must understand what our needs are and what our contributions have been and what our, you know, uh, that we're contributing uh, uh, members of this uh, society and we want to be respected for our contributions. You yourself have given many contributions for the community and there's now a mural on Milwaukee's South Side that pays tribute to the history of Latinos in Wisconsin and Milwaukee and the agriculture movement, which, you know, adds to your legacy and your work. But how is it that you want your legacy to be extended? What should today's generations of Latinos and even just the Milwaukee community? What should they know about this history? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, the mural that just went up on First and, uh, and Mitchell. But the first part of the uh, of the mural, I think, that is really unique, uh, shows migrant workers, uh, farm workers, immigrants working in the fields. Uh, you see images of our, one of the first agencies or that is depicted in the mural, United Migrant Opportunity Services. Uh, you see the uh, uh, some of the clippings in the mural about the role of the vocational school, in particular the University of uh, Wisconsin at Milwaukee. When I enrolled and I came uh, uh, to work with CSER, I, uh, I enrolled at the University of Milwaukee. All the Latinos out of a population of 25,000 students could sit around one table. Or that is, you didn't have 
Governor Wallace, uh, you know, uh, going out in front of the University of Alabama, Alabama is standing in front of symbolically, you know, uh, at, attempting to stop uh, uh, African-Americans from enrolling at the University of Alabama. But the results were the same. There were no Latinos at the University of Wisconsin in 1968. When we proposed outreach programs, uh, uh, access to the uh, UWM, the chancellor was not responsive. And so it took us over a year of protests, demonstrations, sit-ins, arrests, etc. This is depicted in the mural. So you see in the mural what the, mi- the migrant and the immigrant community went through, through the, represented through these agencies in its challenges to have access to uh, vocational and uh, secondary, post-secondary uh, uh, institutions. And there's an image of, uh, of a foundry. Our entry-level uh, jobs that we uh, were forced to uh, undertake because of the restrictions in the up- employment opportunity we had. So the foundries at, at the time were the entry-level jobs, the tanneries, uh, now they're all gone. But that was our contribution here to the industrial sector in, uh, in southeastern uh, Wisconsin. And then at the end, we have uh, uh, Fiesta Mexicana. We used to celebrate Mexican Independence Day or Cinco de Mayo uh, by uh, small parades and then uh, getting permits for uh, block parties, one block. And now what do we have? In the lakefront last year, 80,000 uh, people participated in Mexican Fiesta and all enjoying themselves. That story that I told you about UWM all all uh, 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 all the Latinos sitting around one table. Last year, I believe there were close to 1,900 Latino students at UWM. So that is a legacy of uh, just in that one one mural. And I think you'll find that whether you go to the 16th Street Clinic, whether you go to the La Causa Child Care Center, whether you go to the role that Yuma's is playing right now, where you go to El Centro, the Spanish Center, and that, you know, this vibrant network, of education and social service, that's a legacy that we've left. Jesus Salas is a migrant worker advocate, founder of Obreros Unidos, former CEO of United Migrant Opportunity Services. He currently volunteers for Voces de la Frontera and speaks about his experience fighting for migrant workers' rights. He spoke with Audrey Nowakowski, and you can find out more information about him along with an extended conversation at wuwm.com.